0: Hello and welcome once again to On Mike with Jordan Rich. I get the chance to talk with very creative people doing some very interesting and positive things. Today's guest, Dawn Hayes. Dawn has made dreams come true for many people. She's best known locally as the TV spokesperson for the Massachusetts State Lottery. And drawing winning numbers every night for years makes her a very recognizable celebrity in these parts. Dawn is also an accomplished voiceover artist, an on-camera spokesperson, a motorcycle enthusiast, and we'll touch on that. I'll also be talking with Dawn about her work as Director of Marketing and Community Support at Dove, Domestic Violence Ended, an organization offering a wide range of help to those victims of domestic abuse. Dawn and her colleagues there promote hope, healing, safety, and social change. So very happy now to welcome Dawn Hayes to On Mic with Jordan Rich. What a delight to welcome Don Hayes to this podcast. I've been a fan for a long time. We worked together on more than one occasion. We did. I used to see you at WBZ-TV when you were doing the lottery stuff then.
1: Yep, yep. I'd come down and I'd pass by the... um the room where you'd be in doing recordings and stuff.
0: And you always looked great. I was just a schluffy slob who hadn't shaved, but you looked fantastic. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Thank you. You're always so nice to me. So.
0: Well, I, I have great respect and admiration for what you do. And I thought we'd explore a little bit about the career and about some of your experiences. First of all, you're from New York, correct?
1: Yes, I was born in New York.
0: In the city or else, elsewhere? In uh, in Queens. Oh, then you're yeah, a Truny. Yeah. Tru- I won't ask your relationship to sports teams. We'll leave that off the table. <laughs> we don't need to go I there.
1: am a Patriots and Red Sox fan. I've lived here longer than I live there. So, Well,
0: your allegiance is in the right place. <laughs> yes,
1: I am dedicated.
0: <laughs> Let's start with this. Emerson College in Boston, which mm-hmm. has launched so many great careers. Uh, you remember your experiences, I'm sure. Uh, really, did it, did it really mold you at that point?
1: Oh, most definitely. Um, I loved Emerson, and that's how I came to Boston—is mm-hmm. to go to college at Emerson. And that's when the campus was on the Back Bay, was in the Back Bay. Um, now it's downtown a, a bit. They own uh,
0: half of the city, it seems. I mean, I'm yeah. being facetious, but they've done a great job expanding.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, once they sold all those brownstones. You know, in the Back Bay, mm-hmm. they certainly could move up mm-hmm. quite efficiently. I'm sure.
0: Now, what did you major in? I obviously communications and stuff, but was it was it television performance or other things?
1: Um, I was a mass com major uh, with a minor in uh, speech. And uh, so my goal was to really be a camera person or behind the scenes, mm-hmm. but, but things kind of took a different turn, luckily.
0: <laughs> as they do in this industry, mm-hmm. right, Don? As yep. they do. You've had a very successful career as a voiceover actress and an on-camera actor or spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your first real important gig?
1: Well, I do remember there. Um, it wa- I was assisting the general manager for a radio station called WVBF back in the day.
0: I remember it well. Those uh,
1: Lauren ones. and Wally, yes. where, where they where they um, originated. And I was the assistant to the general manager, as I said. And he said it was OK for me to do a couple of voiceovers. And I became friendly with the production manager. And and uh, Al Frazier, actually, was his name. And he um, got me a commercial for a furniture company singing a jingle. So one day, can you sing a jingle? Heck Yeah. I am tone deaf.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness.
1: So, I sang the jingle and it was the rest was history.
0: You never forget that first it was awesome. Official voiceover if you're doing this. Mine way way back it did a lot of college things, but the first one was for a car dealership oh. on the North Shore and if I hear it now I'm I cringe, but at <laughs> those days and that was a long time, well before your time, believe me, mm. but that's great you re, you recall yeah. that.
1: Yeah, it was, it was fun. So,
0: A lot of things have transpired, but you're so well-known in the New England region for the work with the lottery, and we sort of teased that a little bit at the beginning. And um, let's explain to the audience what it is you were doing on a nightly basis. What was your job?
1: Well, I was the spokesperson for the lottery, and I, I think of myself more as a spokesperson than an actress, even though I had dabbled a little bit in that. Um, but every night I would do the daily drawings, um, the daily numbers game, and whatever large game followed. And But bigger than that is I would travel through the state. I would go to various uh, lottery ticket sales folks and visit and see our the people who bought tickets. We'd go on the road and do drawings in different places. Um, I was... Um, An ambassador, basically, Mm. for the lottery.
0: So what we saw on TV was literally the tip of the iceberg. Your job was much more intensive than that, than simply being on TV.
1: Absolutely. And people go, oh, is that your job? You just work two minutes a day? (laughs) It's like, no. (laughs) I'd go out to Pittsfield or I'd go out to various parts of Massachusetts. And also in – so I did the lottery for about 15 years. And in the middle of all that was three years of a game show called Bonus Bonanza. I don't know if you remember that. But that was another uh, very interesting chapter.
0: Uh, we'll get to the game show in yeah. a second. But what's interesting about doing a lottery live is that it has to be live. You can't – you know, it you can't live. record – so there, there are, what, five days a week or did you do it more than that?
1: Um, it, it was seven days a week. So But you... I didn't do it. I did it for the – I was the primary. I primary. It, right. OK. And then we had various folks start to fill in on weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite people was Nancy Eckersley. Um
0: any relation to yes, she Dennis was. the Pitcher? Yes,
1: she was um, oh. Dennis's second wife, and lovely, lovely woman. Yeah. And she was um, did our weekends.
0: When people watched, first of all, they were very intense on watching because that was the number. You know, we were not me per se, but we collectively were excited about maybe being a millionaire. And you were the one about to tell us. You had to pump yourself up for a very short on-air appearance every night, and I I watched you so many times. You never failed to be right there. So how do, you, how do you do that when you just have a, a few minutes?
1: I love that job, Jordan. I, it wasn't hard. Um, I was very clear what it meant when that red light went on, that you are now, everybody can see you, and if you make a mistake, there you are. <laughs> um, and that was enough to, to light the fire. Uh, I remember being on when the Persian Gulf War started, and that night was when they had that, if you recall – Um, on TV, they actually had cameramen and reporters on the beach or some Mm. sandy area where they were, and I had to go on and do the lottery. So that was hard trying to figure out how to appropriately read the number, but not be too happy and not Uh. be. So that was the harder part was at times when it was a live drawing that I may have thought was inappropriate to air it. Uh but to act accordingly due to what's happening.
0: Very astute of you. It's not an easy thing to do when when you have something that is generally a happy time and you have to adjust. Were there any glitches over that 10-year period that stand out? I mean, did the balls get stuck in the machine more than once? I'm guessing the, you're nodding, so I'm guessing there's a, a truth yes. to that. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> so as I said, it was like 15 years, but... Um, several, several things. I have hilarious stories. Um, one Thanksgiving, too much air was put into the daily numbers game. So when you see the daily numbers, the wheels, Mm. they blast a certain amount of air into them. And it's got to be specific in order to end just when I'm finishing to fit into the 45 second donut. Of course. But it got too much air. So the balls were literally pinned spinning pinned to the outer you know to the thing is it and we're committed we were committed to seeing it through so that drawing went on about two minutes before those balls started. <laughs> so you're on live TV. You had to stretch? You had to stretch. I was talking about the turkey and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So that was a unique experience. Wow.
0: That- One more thing about that. When I said we used to see you, because I was there in the evenings on Friday nights and you'd be doing your thing, getting ready for your thing. What was it, 11 o'clock or so? Was it?
1: Well, initially. It was um, 752 and 758. So you'd see me right after Wheel of Fortune and before uh, Jeopardy. Okay. Then they spread it out to the daily number was done at 752. But then um, at the end of the news or in the news around 1050 something. Right. They would do the mega millions, mass cash, megabucks, that sort of thing. So they they spread it out.
0: Here's what I remember above and beyond your work, which was great. I remember the Area, a little office or a door or a closet, really, that had all kinds of locks and and signage suggesting this was off pre- because it, it's the lottery. I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, want to you don't want to have any mistrust on the part of the public or even the staff at the radio or TV station. We it was all hands off. That was well guarded, wasn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know, people would ask me, you know, is it rigged? Is it this? There was so much security yeah. for the balls. Each they were for the bigger games like megabucks that have the balls that drop out of the big machine they had several cases and there'd always be two lottery guys and they would call to see which case were they're using and then the balls had to be weighed and you know it was and witnessed Mm. you know and for the daily numbers game each wheel had its own locked box so it was like a rolling file cabinet of lottery wheels Mm. and The four for the night, they had to call get the the sequence for which ones they were using. Everything. And then um, the balls would get replaced. So every so often, you know, they weren't just ping pong balls. They were there was some sort of fiber that was used. They were very special balls.
0: Mm, Very specialized (laughs) and very well controlled and managed. to, uh, To provide trust. That's a key element. Well, here's another question that's sort of an offshoot. Having done television... It's amazing. You could be on television for 60 seconds a night for just one week and more people will stop you in supermarkets as opposed to being on the radio or on a podcast or doing voiceovers. It's really amazing, isn't it, the impact of of television in terms of being recognized?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, People would hear my voice. My back would be to them. And then they'd say, excuse me, are you Don Hayes? I mean, even to this day, and I haven't done it in about 15 years, um, people still recognize me. It's just, it's really nice. Uh, Especially New England is special that way. I mean, we've really embraced our, at least back in the day, really embraced our television hosts and they've had longevity. Mm. You know, like Chet Natalie back then, for those of you old enough to remember. Oh, sure. There's
0: a whole litany of people. But I think of you. Liz. And I think of you, I know you obviously personally, but I know a lot of people who know you. Oh, it's Don Hayes immediately. I mean, because (laughs) of that, that, uh, uh, recognition factor and and the the closeness people feel to people on TV and radio. Let's now move from that. And you did that for so many years, very successfully. You've also, as mentioned, done a lot of voice work and freelance and so forth. But now you're working in the uh, in sort of the public sector for an organization that's doing some really dynamic work and it's very important. Talk about Dove and what that means.
1: Okay. Well, Dove stands for Domestic Violence Ended, and. Um, Currently, I'm their director of development and communications. And what we do is provide services to survivors of domestic violence uh, and their family. So um, I am in charge of all of the communications and for raising a fair bit of money for them. I mm-hmm. handle all of their events and um, you know, work very closely with them to make sure we keep the lights on and that mm-hmm. our programs expand.
0: Is it Affected you? I mean, obviously it does. It's it's a it's a job. But uh, have have you learned a lot more than you ever thought you would about the problem and the victims, and also those trying to help? But to tell me what your reaction to Dove after being there.
1: Um, I've been there. I will have been there for five years in this coming April, mm-hmm. and it's totally changed my life. Um, it's empowered me. Uh, it's a primarily woman-run organization. Uh, we recently did hire a gentleman as our director of operations, which is tremendous. Uh, it's It's been an amazing experience. The people there are so supportive and so caring, and we see a number on a regular basis of, of folks with very hard stories. Mm-hmm. And even though I don't do direct services, uh, I, I still am aware of all of the um, the work that we do. I
0: have just a, a cursory relationship in that I've, I've emceed a couple of events over the years, and what's really in telling is the fact that it's women from all socioeconomic strata. It's not, a- absolutely.
1: Right. Oh, absolutely. All races, all ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, folks will say, well, you know, it's just those people. It's not just those people, your neighbor, you could live in a very wealthy community. The highest call to the police in, in every community that we are worked in is domestic violence calls. Mm-hmm. So that's from Hingham to Dorchester, you know, that's, yeah. it's, it's really huge. And, um, yeah, it's 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 big,
0: well, it's interesting uh, that you've gotten involved with this organization because you're still using your skills as a communicator. I know you and I did an interview recently for WBZ Radio. and that comes in handy when you're in that role, doesn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. And i I jokingly say that my years at the lottery was like charm school. Uh, I got a lot of great skills, I met a lot of wonderful people, um and and that has served me well mm. in the nonprofit world. So this is my first uh, my third, I'm sorry, my third job in the nonprofit world. And you know, f- through each position I've I've grown exponentially mm. and uh, it definitely definitely comes in con- in uh, handy.
0: Now, one thing that people may not know as much about in the Don Hayes' life is your love affair with the motorcycles. And when I first heard that, I, you know, I did a little bit of a, not a spit take, a double take, because I think of you as petite, which you are, uh, as exceedingly petite, and I think, okay, what does she talk about? Little vespers? No. Let's talk about motorcycles for a second. Where does yes. this all happen in your life?
1: Um, I love motorcycles and classic cars. And had always wanted to learn how to ride motorcycles. So people don't know that I used to ride a motorcycle to the lottery job. And then, yes, I learned how to ride a motorcycle in <laughs> 2000. Okay. And when I was very much still in, um, in that position. And then in 2002, I became a motorcycle safety instructor.
0: I want to talk to you about that. But you also do uh, work over at the Transportation Museum in the Boston area. Yes, right. which
1: is now called Lars Anderson Auto Museum. Okay. So, yep, no Thank longer you. the um, Transportation Museum. But, yes, I host some events there and um, really enjoy a, a nice partnership with them.
0: So before we talk about instruction, let's talk about riding. Are you one of these long-distance riders? Do you take weekends and go up to Canada? I mean, d- d- what's your activity like?
1: Funny that you should ask that. I love long-distance, ah. and um, we I have gone as far – I've done the Blue Ridge Parkway – um, uh, down to the to the North Carolina border.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I've gone as far as um, let's see, we're Indiana, South Carolina. Um, as long as I've had the time, you know, I've never had a time to take a month off, which I would love to do and just go across the country.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, but yes, I've I've gone fairly far.
0: That's interesting. And uh, do you have individuals, friends that you like to ride with? Because oftentimes people make it a it's a social. Event. It's
1: a culture unto its unto its own. It's it's a it's a it's a fraternity. It's one of the few things now, and I feel in in this country where it doesn't matter what color you are or how much money you have. Mm. You know, we support each other. It's it's a brotherhood and a sisterhood.
0: And, and I was going to say it's a sorority as well, right? Because right. a lot of women are, are into it. And um, I have to ask you what your current vehicle is. What do you have?
1: Ah, you're asking all the good questions. Of course, really um, I was just gifted um, by my significant other with a Indian vintage, eighteen hundred. Oh, and it is beautiful. It's black with um, beige bags, beige seat, fringe everywhere. It's she's fabulous. <laughs> I, I know a
0: little bit about the motorcycle history, and 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 when you mention Indian, that's. Mm -hmm. That's what every motorcyclist dreams of, right?
1: Yeah. Harley, you know, Harley and Indian have had a long time um, competition. um, Mm -hmm. But Indian was founded in 1903, Harley Mm. in 1906. uh, And they've had a long, long history. But to me, everybody has a Harley. You know, I love them. My partner has a Harley. Um, But this Indian is just really special.
0: And now talk about training to learn how to do safety training, I mean, you had to—you obviously had to be skilled and learned. Like, you have to be licensed to teach. Oh yeah, okay, certified. And people often think motorcycles are just so dangerous, it's kind of like airplanes. The, if you—if you think about it, the chances of you being injured are pretty slim in air flight. But what about motorcycle uh, riding? For the most part, is it as dangerous as the une- unexplored people? No, sorry. Is it as dangerous as those of us who are not in the know think it is?
1: It's very dangerous. Um, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. I'm not one of those people that think everybody should be on a motorcycle. I think you need to know what you're getting into and then take every precaution to do it safely, which is part of why I'm an instructor.
0: Even if you're very safe and you have all of the safety precautions in play, there is a certain amount of risk, like anything, I mean, right?
1: Absolutely. But there's there's a saying that people say, you know, if you haven't gone down, you're going to go down. I, I do not subscribe to that. Okay. You know, I think that if, again, you take the right precautions, you take the safety class, you keep continuing to grow your knowledge on how to be safe. Today, with all of the um, technology, people are so distracted. You look Mm. at people in their cars, their heads are down, they're on their cell phones, they're, you know, feeding the kid in the back. Those, it's a very challenging time. Mm. It's not like 20 years ago.
0: But there is, getting back to the fun of it, there is something very freeing and sort of Devil may care in a good way about having yourself a motorcycle and just taking off for somewhere.
1: Taking off, just the sound of it. You're in the environment. You've got the wind in your face. Mm. You're on an amazing machine. It's, you know, it's an iron horse. It's, there's, there's nothing like it to me. And
0: if people want to take lessons from somebody like you, how do they, how do they contact Ah. you?
1: Um, well, I work for an organization called Training Wheels, mm-hmm. and if you go to trainingwheelsonline.com, okay, you can. We have six schools across the state, and we offer a number of things. I also recently got certified in um, how to treat uh, to teach trikes um, sidecars and trikes
0: oh yes of course so
1: we're finding that there's a growing older population who is deciding that they don't want to be on two wheels anymore but they want to maybe move up to a trike or a sidecar and um, we've um, certified a number of our teachers for that
0: now getting back to your work on tv you were always dressed to the nines when you talk dawn hayes on television she was the epitome of fashion what about your motorcycle garb Ah. Are you also one who shops for just the right leather look?
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, leather, leather all the yeah, way. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, and the thing about it is, you want to dress for protection. Yeah. Um, but you also want to dress for the look, you know. See,
0: I would love to just dress that way, not necessarily ride a motorcycle. <laughs> so I'll have to follow you around wherever you go. <laughs> But that's great. Congratulations and yeah, and you, you have a big smile on your face when you talk about this. <laughs>
1: it's so much fun.
0: It it is yeah. fun. Well, your career is is still unfolding with all kinds of exciting and creative things and we want to remind people that you still are doing spokesperson work Absolutely. when asked. Give the website for Dove, if you will. That's an important one to leave with listeners.
1: Yes. um, If folks um, either would like services or would like to learn more about us, um, you can check us out at DoveMA.org.
0: The one question I haven't asked you, and maybe you've been asked this before, but when you were working for the lottery, were you, A, allowed to buy tickets, and B... Did you buy tickets?
1: I was allowed to buy tickets because I was not a state employee. Okay. Um, During my time at the lottery, I worked for each television station that I was at. So it was, as a rule, I did not. But on occasion, I would, like at Christmas for the family, I'd buy a few tickets. I'd bring cash, because my folks live in New York, and I would, they'd scratch. And if they won something, I'd be able to give them (laughs) the money right there. Yes, it was nice. But no, I didn't play often.
0: Okay. You didn't have any inside track no, because it was all legit let's put it that way I'm it, just, was,
1: it was Josh. way legit <laughs>
0: <laughs> well don it's lovely to connect on this podcast and we've been colleagues sort of working together on various things over the years but i'm thrilled for your success and thank you for sharing some interesting stories about the background and there's just good stuff to come so congratulations
1: thank you so much jordan thanks for having me
0: this is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich. Available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mic is produced at Chart Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good.